I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. Well, you know, this is the kind of weather that I like to uh, stay in for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do I do my outdoor chores, and right. that takes up a good amount of energy so that I feel as if I can deserve the meals that I eat. And I warm up the house by uh, putting it on the oven. Mm-hmm. And uh, cranking it up really high. I bake at temperatures of between 450 and 500 degrees. Okay. And uh, make my breads. And I had a chance uh, in the last month or so to sample some of that stuff. You were kind enough to stop by my place one Saturday and drop some bread off. And, oh, boy, is that good. Yeah, I had gone into kind of a a baking frenzy. Mm -hmm. And so had baked, I don't know, 16 loaves, I guess, over the course of a couple of days. (laughs) Um, And these are loaves that... uh, actually take a long time mm-hmm. to to bake. Uh, this is not a, a two-hour rise, but something that's, that uh, one of the loaves, in fact, that I tried for the first time, it's a, a French loaf, um, took three days mm-hmm. to ferment. And that, uh, uh, if, if people wonder why, that part of why you do that is flavor, isn't it? It is. And in fact, we have on the line with us this morning someone who knows about this very intimately. It's Sam Fromartz, who we've actually talked to before. Okay. Because he's the editor-in-chief of the Food and Environment Reporting Network, mm-hmm. which is a um, internet-based uh, source for amazing investigative reporting mm. on the food system and on foods. But Sam isn't just... Uh, involved in the Food Network academically. He is also, and has been for, for decades, a home baker. Oh. And recently published a book, his uh-huh. second book, called In Search of the Perfect Loaf. Oh, boy. A Home Baker's <laughs> Odyssey. Sam, good morning. How are you? Great. I'm happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I've been enjoying your book. So when you say in search of the perfect loaf, I think this book covers, is it like four years? Uh, well, I mean, I really started baking almost 20 years ago. So, uh-huh. so I mean, it goes back to, you know, I, I refer to, to, to why I started. And so, you know, it does it does cover aspects of that period. But the actual travels where I kind of, um, you know, visited with bakers around the country and also overseas in in France and Germany. Um, that was a period of about uh, you know, about two or three years uh-huh. that I did that. So, so you say that you've started, you know, you've been baking for almost twenty years, but that love of bread began much earlier in your life. Can you give us a little bit of that flavor? Yeah, well, I grew up in in Brooklyn, in New York City, and there were bakeries in in the neighborhood, and there was you know bakeries all around uh, uh, New York City. And many of them were run by, you know, sons or, or grandsons of immigrants. And, um, uh, you know, 
know, they baked, you know, either Italian-style loaves or Jewish, you know, breads or what have you. And a lot of those really have since closed down. You know, mm. a lot of the old guys retired and the bakeries closed. And so the bakeries in the neighborhood I grew up in, you know, those those were all gone. So, um, so I really did have this kind of, you know, firm idea of what good bread was. And my dad, uh, whose background is Russian Jewish, he always liked to have bread on the table. And so it was, you know, it was just something that, that we had. And when I moved to, I, I, I lived around the country, but when I moved to Washington, I just couldn't find anything similar. I'm in Washington, D.C. now. And um, so I figured, well, I just, maybe I'll try and bake bread my myself because mm-hmm. you know it's kind of an avid cook so i figured how hard could it be so that it, it turned out to be a little a little bit difficult but it was that was really the beginning of the process in kind of the mid to late 90s around 97 or so you know that's and, in, that's um, in, yeah. that's interesting that you say that sam because as as you uh said those words you know how hard could it be uh you certainly got a smile out of dave dave corbett who actually uh was a trained baker before, ah. before he became a uh, dairy farmer 30 years ago. Okay. <laughs> I've forgotten everything I learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, but, you know, some of the best things, you know, are hard, right? That's true. <laughs> you know, that, uh, you know, and I got, I got one comment on the book that was interesting, and it wasn't, it was that, um, you know, part of the joy is not just the bread itself, but it's in, it's in the making of the bread and and the difficulty of the making. In other words, the process is really what gives you, you know, really what you get engaged with. Mm-hmm. And if it's just a simple, you know, one, two, three, there's not much to be engaged with. So bread, you know, it's there's a lot of variables, and but, that's what kind of makes it interesting. So when when you focus on bread for your book and the, and the thing that you've been in search of, what kind of bread are we talking about? Well, I would say it's mostly um, European-style loaves, and it's really the loaves that were, I think, kind of made the artisan bread movement starting in, you know, probably the late 80s, the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these bakers were influenced by bakers in in Europe, and, you know, they brought the methods back and and really um, took, you know, really rejuvenated bread. Um, So that's really the bread's... I'm making, and you know, and that said, in Europe you can get a lot of bad bread too. Yes. So it's kind of, you know, the the really good bakers wherever you are, they're kind of few and far between. So you have, kind of have to search them out, and if you're not near to one, uh, you know, you might want to just try making it yourself because, well, you know, I mean, I I'm active in a lot of you know home baking websites on the web and facebook etc and you know people are just making really wonderful loaves and in many cases much better than you know they can buy you know near nearby one of the things that i found so intriguing about your book was just how you got into the story itself you know the what the the circumstances that had you in france could you kind of give us a synopsis of that yeah, well, it was a funny, it was really a funny time. This was like really at the depths of the recession in, in late 2008. And, I, you know, probably none of us will forget that period where the economy just kind of went into this deep freeze. And I was freelancing at the time as an editor 
um, and I had two main gigs. And within on the same day, I lost them both. Hmm. This was in December of 2008. Um, and just things were really, the economy was just frozen. And I, I remember I was just, you know, I've been doing journalism a long time, so I just sent out emails to, you know, all my colleagues and friends and, you know, friends of colleagues and trying to just generate some work. And actually, I reached an old friend and who was editing a new magazine, a travel magazine. Um, and she said, well, do you have any ideas? And, I, and we talked on the phone. And, you know, I was talking about bread baking. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to go to Paris to learn how to make a baguette. And because um, uh, this, this is something that eluded me at, at, in, in my home. You know, I tried to make baguettes at home. And I had been baking then for more than 10 years. And, you know, I tried many recipes, and I just finally gave up, and I, I decided that a decent baguette could not be made at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, and so so this was, a, this was kind of the challenge. Like, could I learn something, you know, that would help this, this quest? And so that really sort of set the whole framework for the book. It became this quest. I, I didn't know I was writing a book then. I was just writing a magazine article. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but long story short, I did go to Paris. I worked in a boulangerie and one that had won the, uh, the award for the best baguette in Paris a couple of years previous. And um, I, I learned some lessons and made hundreds of baguettes a day and, um, you know, eventually came home and I, I, I kind of nailed it. So so I could, I saw that I could translate those lessons from a professional setting to the home. And that sort of became, um, you know, the framework for, for what I did throughout the book, you mm-hmm. know, which is learning from bakers, um, traveling thousands of miles to work with them, um, and my my uh, my goal always was to just learn one thing that I could bring home. Like if I if I traveled to Berlin, which I did, and if I could learn one thing that I could translate into my home kitchen, then the trip was worth it. And so so I was always I had this mantra in my head: learn one thing. And mm. and often I learned more than one. But you know, it was always just keeping that focus on on learn, you know getting something new that I didn't know. Curious, so Sam. That, uh, what yeah. did what did you learn about baguettes that you didn't know before you uh, learned how to make them? Uh, I think what I learned uh, in that case was just, um, I mean, there were some some aspects to shaping them, but it was really it really the most important step I think was just learning about fermentation because. The, the bakery I worked in, they mixed the dough one day and they made the baguettes the next. And so it benefited from this long overnight fermentation at about, um, you know, it was, it was a, they, they fermented them at about 50 degrees mm. Fahrenheit. So, um, so it was this long, languid rise. And that, I realized, really develops the flavor of the loaf. It develops the... Um, it, it allows the starches to convert to sugars, so you get this really wonderfully dark, you know, uh, crust. It, it um, and it really allows the the gluten in, to develop, so you get this wonderful, you know, airy light crumb. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I just started doing that when I got home, and it wasn't it wasn't immediate. I had some problems, but essentially I took took those that lesson and really, you know, really applied it. 
it's not a lot of work, but time is involved. So what happens during that time, during fermentation, is all these different things develop in the dough by itself. And most recipes are like, you know, add the yeast, mix the dough, let it rise for an hour, shape the loaves, let it rise for another hour and bake it. And, you know, if you make a loaf of bread in two hours, you're just not going to get the flavor that you get by developing, letting it develop over a full day, you know, either, you know, in the refrigerator. Um, you know, if you use much less yeast, you can let it just rise on the counter. But, yes. but really, time is your friend. And the the interesting thing about this is the reason so so much of bread today is bad is because, as as we know, time is money, and so that's time is the enemy of business and efficiency, mm. right? So the whole goal of business is to cut down on time to make more loaves in a shorter period of time, right? So that you increase your production and you, you know, and so you can say you're more efficient. But what you're really compromising is the quality of the product. So. You know, so in a in a sense, home bakers really have an advantage because, you know, it doesn't cost me any money to leave my dough in the refrigerator overnight. You know, right? <laughs> and whereas in a business, it might. So, so that's that's the advantage that that home bakers have. You know, one of the things you've mentioned two things that uh, I guess I'm hoping people take away. One is the amount of time that that. Uh, the bread is fermenting. So you're right. right. It's not and this that... is not work. This is not work. Right. It's like you can do some. You can do your laundry. You can you know write your book. You can do whatever you want to do during that time. It's not work. The dough's doing its own work. You know. Absolutely. So. and that develops the flavor and the gluten strength and and uh, really makes so much more of the sugars available to develop the flavor of your final loaf of bread. You know, one of the things. Um, I found is sometimes people think, oh, my gosh, two days to bake bread. I don't want to be chained to the house for that long. But as you said, you stick the loaf in the, in the, in the fridge and you walk away. So when you're doing this and you're working with, this, with time as a, as a major element and friend, it's your strategy. You get the, the dough cool enough and it's going to take that much longer to rise and you don't have to be standing over it. What about um, water? Are the breads that you make, do they tend to be have more water in them? Yeah, most bread recipes, I mean, if I, I was looking at things like Beard on Bread from the 70s mm -hmm. and, and other bread books from that time, and most of the recipes, um, by today's standards, the doughs, the doughs would be very, um, very kind of dense. Breads these days, and especially I think the ones that were influenced by Europe, have a lot more water in them than you would expect. And so I think people get scared of that because when you initially mix it, it may look like a gloppy mess, you know, and it doesn't really resemble dough. But the, the wonderful thing about flour is it doesn't absorb water immediately. So actually, if you just mix the, the dough together and let it sit, the flour gradually really absorbs that water. And it's especially true with whole grains, like whole wheat or other whole grain flours, which, because they have fiber in them, uh, they absorb um, dramatically more water. So, so you really need to be... Bakers kept telling me, add as much water as the dough can handle. Mm. In other words, you kind of mix the dough, you let it sit, the water gets absorbed, you know, um, you start... Um, uh, this what I use is a folding technique, not a kneading right. technique, where you just fold the dough over on itself to sort of allow the gluten to develop. 
and it, and at that point you can continue to add water by you know two two to three tablespoons at a time. So you're continually adding water. The dough's continually absorbing it, um, and you just that's the key if you want an airy loaf that has these you know wonderfully you know big and small holes. So if if you look at a bread that it's really um, dense and even crumb, it's probably it doesn't have enough. It hasn't had enough water. Mm. So that's yeah. So that's another key. Right, another so you, lesson that I learned. So you 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 kind of focused on the the baguette in in France, but what took you to Germany and and kind of what were the lessons there? <clears throat> well, it was interesting. You know, the reason I wanted to go to Germany and, I, and it wasn't necessarily Germany. Germany. It could have been Eastern Europe or Northern Europe. It, I wanted to I wanted to make rye breads, but really what I what I really wanted to make was whole grain breads. And here, you know, we're told by the government to eat more fiber and that whole grains are healthy, um, and that we should be eating more. And all of that's true, but in Eastern Europe or Germany, people eat whole grain breads because they're good bread. <laughs> you mm. know, they're not eating it because anyone's telling them that this is what they should be eating. They're just, this is what's, you know, this is part of their, you know, culinary culture. And so I just wanted to learn how to make good bread out of whole grains. And I figured I'd go to a place where whole grain bread was just bread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's really what I learned uh, and why I went there. And I was especially interested in rye breads because um, I'd grown up eating, you know, rye and darker ryes and pumpernickels. Uh, in New York, uh, most it's really they're kind of hard to find these days. And I just wanted to learn how to make these breads. And the ones I learned in Berlin weren't precisely the same, but they were, you know, they were really good. And um, and I still eat those breads breads today. And um, and I love them, you know. And it was just a, it was really a wonderful experience working in this uh, this neighborhood bakery in Berlin that made these extraordinary breads. And wow. Ground their own flour the day they were you know, mixing the doughs, and, you know, they had these uh, three stone mills, and, you know, it was just it was just kind of an extraordinary experience. Well, Sam, you know, we're getting to the end of this time together, and I'm just, I've got, my head is like bursting with so many questions. <laughs> but um, let me ask you, <clears throat> I guess, one, which is, um, were there any surprises for you? I mean, you got to the end of, of uh, a certain time in which you were traveling, and you're pulling together your book, Anything that kind of caught you a little bit by surprise? I think what I began to see was, you know, this whole movement of artisan breads, it was it was really influenced by Europe and European bakers and, and European breads in the 90s. But I think, especially now, you're really getting really inventive um, loaves from Americans themselves who are, like, taking these lessons and taking breads into new directions. And there's not a lot of bakeries that are doing them, but I write about them in my book, and and actually what's really interesting that's happening is that Europeans and American bakers are now sharing a lot so that Europeans are I mean Americans are going back to Europe and teaching their techniques to Europeans mm-hmm. you know, in the way that Europeans did the same in the US so it's really and I think part of it is the internet itself and you know there's just much more sharing and um much more you know recognition of all the different um movements that this kind of bread culture could go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I loved about the whole process was just, you know, being a journalist, I mean, these bakers, for the most part, 
you know, are not really written about very much and certain, you know, in, in the food media and in the general media at large. So, and they tend to be, you know, eccentric characters who like working alone in the middle of the night. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was just great to, it was just great to, to spend time with them and really, um, immerse myself in that culture and, the the sort of the uniqueness of that culture was really kind of surprising and and wonderful. So that that was another aspect that that it, that was you know that was different for me. Well, you have a, a wonderful a line and an array of stories within your book as well as as those uh, recipes. And if you've just joined us, we've been speaking with Sam Fromartz, author of In Search of the Perfect Loaf. A Home Baker's Odyssey. He is also editor-in-chief of the Food and Environment Reporting Network, which is based out of Washington, D.C., but which covers food and agricultural issues uh, wherever they occur in the United States. Sam, it has yeah. been so much fun uh, talking with you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, I have not made a baguette because I'm oh, afraid okay. of it. <laughs> I am afraid yeah, of well, it. Well, so is I. <laughs> and so I, I look forward to taking um, some encouragement from your book and trying it because... Well, make the make what it, I have a kind of a baguette 101, which is called a strata, which is right. an Italian loaf, where you stretch it. It's a very easy recipe, and I, I would encourage you, you know, to start with that one. Oh, thank um, you. But it's great, you know, it's a great time of year to be baking just as it's getting cool and you want to be in your warm kitchen and filling your home with those smells of baking bread it's like this is the this is the time of year to do it you know <laughs> oh just i just love it just love it well as a baker and food lover dave corbett any thoughts as we close up here well uh, i have to ask the obvious question you were in search of the perfect loaf did you find it i didn't but i got pretty pretty darn close um <laughs> i mean a lot of the bakers i worked with you know whether in you know, the south of France, Berlin, California, um, you know, Sonoma. I mean, they, all these guys made wonderful, wonderful breads. And, um, and you know, I think my, I'm really happy with my bread, too. Is it perfect? No, it's never perfect. You always, like, look at it and go, well, how could it improve, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe I could have baked it, you know, another a, a little bit longer. Maybe, you know, there's all different ways. Um you know, that you can always see improvement. And that's kind of the wonderful thing about it. You're always sort of trying to figure out the next thing. Well, Sam, you know, as we end up here, any uh, one or two pieces of advice that you'd like to leave for those bread lovers and bed bakers who are listening this morning? Yeah, I would say you just got to jump in. You know, don't be scared of it. And if your loaf comes out misshapen or it's not exactly what you think it should be, um, that's okay, and you could still eat it, and it'll probably give you uh, some satisfaction, and you'll, you know, have an idea of maybe what you should try and do differently the next time, you know, and that and that'll just put you on this path of continually trying to improve. But you got to start. You have to start somewhere, and don't. I would say, you know, don't be discouraged. I mean, I made terror, you know, loaves that were, you know, pretty misshapen and, you know, pretty poor when I started out. So. Uh, you know that's okay. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. Oh yeah, I, I love eating the failures. It's it's uh... yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, I, it's, yeah, I still do. It's a good thing. <laughs> well, we've been talking with Sam Fromartz, author of In Search of the Perfect Loaf: A Home Baker's Odyssey. Sam, is there a uh, website that people can go and find your book and learn more about what you do? Yeah, I I have a blog called Choosewise, which is C H E W S. 
and then Wise. It's Choose Wise, like you know, chewing. Mm-hmm. And uh, ChooseWise.com, and I have a lot of background on the book there, as well as a blog and some radio interviews I've done, like you know, this one with you. I'm sure I'll put up there when it's available, but um, uh, many others and, and articles and reviews, and so you can get a much uh, better flavor for the book. Well, thank you so much. Uh, happy baking this winter. Yeah, same to you. Thanks so much for your interest. Okay. Bye, Sam. Bye-bye. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.